Lord Jesus, we do exalt you this morning. Father, I pray for every single person here this morning and every person watching online that their hearts will be touched by the Holy Spirit, that our hearts will be moved, that our minds will be moved, that our lives will be moved by your word and by having a deep commitment to you. Lord Jesus, we want to exalt you. We want to praise you. We want to magnify you. We want to lift you on high. And Father, I pray for each and every person. Again, I repeat, each and every one here, that whatever they're facing in this life, you are greater. You are more powerful. You are our anchor. Our faith in you, Lord Jesus, is solid. And Father, if anyone here doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, today that they will call upon the name of the Lord and they will be saved, delivered, healed, and brought into a right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, be magnified in the study of your word. For it's in Jesus' awesome name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. You know, at Calvary Chapel, we study the Word. We study the Word. Every Sunday morning, we, we, we dive into the Word. We uh, study the Scriptures uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so I, my hope and prayer is that you've all come this morning hungry to dig into God's Word. Exposition style, studying it. And uh, the Bible says that the, uh, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It says that in Ephesians. The Holy Spirit uses our study of the Word of God to transform and change our lives. So open your hearts this morning to His Word, and let's let the Holy Spirit change our lives. Amen? Amen. So please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. This morning we're looking at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to study, we're going to study verses 1 through 21, and, uh, but by way of intro, let's, let's read the first couple verses so we know the direction scripture has taken us this morning. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we study Acts chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 21, open our hearts, feed our souls by your word. In Jesus' awesome name I pray, amen. Amen. So, when you want to get the word out to a lot of people, what do you do? What what do we do when we want to get the word out? Do we rent a billboard? Do we get a bullhorn? Do we send out uh, invitations? Do we put, uh, do online ads? What do we do when we want to get the word out? God wants to get his word out. Throughout time, he's always wanted to get his word out to all people. Okay? In the Old Testament, Israel's job was to get the word out, to be a light to the nations, taking the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Some of them accomplished that. Example, who we're studying on Wednesday nights, Jonah. Jonah, after a tough lesson in the belly of a whale, he did that. 
by going to Nineveh. And it brought revival. It brought repentance. People came to know the Lord. But finally, here on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God unveils his master plan. He unveils his master plan to get the word out into all the world. It's called the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church. Friends, if you've been born again and you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the master plan for God getting his word out into all the world, into our communities, into other countries, in our state, in our city, in our schools, in, in our places of work. You are part of the master plan, God's evangelistic plan for the world. The church is not a country club, okay? The church is not a country club. We are not a political organization. It is God's agency, the church is, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, it is God's agency to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and get the, get the word out. That's our job, is to be lights. Paul says in Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God makes his appeal through us. We are called to be a witness. And as we talked about last week, the highest calling that you can partake of in this life is being a witness for Jesus, sharing the good news of eternal life, sharing the good news of how not to be damned, but how to be saved, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how to be forgiven, and how to have new life in Christ. That's our job, is to, is to share the gospel. And we're going to see here in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, the church is born. My hope and prayer as we study this text is that God gives us a fresh revelation of what church is supposed to be in reaching the, the world with the gospel. So let's dive into it. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, and when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now many times we hear the word Pentecost we automatically just think Pentecostal. We think about being charismatic. But the word Pentecost simply means 50 days. That's what that word means, 50 days. Pentecost was a festival celebrated 50 days after the Passover Sabbath. Uh, also known as the Feast of Weeks, Israel would present grain offerings to the Lord at Jerusalem. And it was at this feast, 50 days after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that God pours out his spirit and the church is born. It was a harvest festival. What more appropriate place could, could there be, a, what greater setting than a harvest festival being celebrated in Jerusalem than for God to choose that day to pour out his Holy Spirit and give birth to the church? You know, the church has not always existed, okay? We came into existence in 33 A.D., with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This is where it all began. And our blueprint for being the church is found in Scripture. It's found in the Word of God. So let us do our very best to follow Christ by following His Word. Uh, and notice it says they were all together in one place, verse 1. The disciples are in one place they're praying. Remember what we looked at last week? What are they waiting on? They're waiting on the promise of the Father. 
So Jesus sends them back to Jerusalem. They're in a room or they're in a courtyard. They're in this place altogether, roughly 120. And they are praying and having fellowship. And they are waiting for the promise of the Father. Well, in verse 2, the promise shows up. Look at verse 2. Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Notice it says here, the Holy Spirit does what? He comes suddenly. He comes suddenly like a violent rushing wind. In other words, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it just happened. It was unexpected. It was a sovereign move of God in pouring out his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They weren't like, oh, here it comes. They were just in the room, and the text says it happened suddenly. It was without warning. It was like a flood. It was like a tsunami. One minute was there, and the next minute, you know, they are basking in the glory as the Spirit is being poured out. It was overwhelming. It was supernatural there in Acts chapter 2. Tongues of fire. They're, They're like, what is going on? God was doing a new thing. He was putting into the earth his master evangelism plan to bring the gospel into all the world through the body of Christ. And not only bring the gospel to all the world, but to do what we do here at Calvary Chapel Irmo, which is invite people to come in and be ministered to. Our job as a church, as the body of Christ, is to minister to you, to minister God's word to you, to help you grow in your relationship with Christ, to make disciples. That's the job of the church, is to expand the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to do here by the power of the Spirit. Verse 3 says, And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. Verse 3 says, There were tongues as of fire, and notice what it says, It rested on each of them. Now, fire in the Old Testament was a symbol It was a symbol of God's holiness, God's purity, and God's power. And friends, on this day at Pentecost, God's purity, his power, and his holiness was being manifested there in that upper room with these disciples in the 120. The Holy Spirit came in power and purity flowing through them. And notice the phrase, he rested on them. He rested on each. The Holy Spirit was taking up permanent residence in the life of the church. If you go back and study the Old Testament, what you will see in the life of the judges and the prophets is the Holy Spirit would come and depart. He would come and he would depart. We see that over and over in the life of the judges and the prophets. But in the New Testament and the life of the believer, when you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and as God has poured out his Spirit on the church, he comes to stay. He's permanent. He was with, he's with you. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He comes and dwells inside of our souls by his spirit and is permanent. It says he rested on each of them. A permanent residence is what the scripture is talking about in the New Testament when it talks about the Holy Spirit coming to be and dwell inside of us. So verse 4. Now, now we're getting to the good part, the controversial part, the part that a lot of people like to talk about, the part that a lot of people are opinionated on. At Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse through the, through the scriptures. We don't, we don't dodge the difficult parts. And so now we're going to talk about tongues. What is the gift of tongues? Let's read the text. 
Verse 4. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Verse 4. Jesus is pouring out the promise of the Father. Context. The promise of the Father last week. Now he's pouring out the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And the gift of tongues is coming upon them. Many churches have different views on tongues. And we need to uh, exchange our views. We need to interact with our views in a spirit of grace. Because there's, there's different interpretations. Some teach that the gift of tongues ended with the apostolic age. Some say the gifts continue. It can be controversial, but it's not meant to be. The gifts of the Spirit were meant to unite the body of Christ. They were meant to minister to the body of Christ. They were meant to help us in ministry in the New Testament. All the gifts of the Spirit. So, um, what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to give you some Bible verses to help bring clarity to the subject of tongues. I can sit here and tell you what I believe. I, I can tell you my understanding, but it, that's just my position. I want, to share from, I want to share with you what Scripture says. And let Scripture, and Scripture alone, sola scriptura, let it guide and direct our theology on the understanding of tongues. Okay? So let's take a look at it. For the first verse I want to bring to your attention, I'll have them up on the screen, is 1 Corinthians 14, 18. In 1 Corinthians 14, 18, the apostle says, I thank God. I speak in tongues more than you all. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he has the gift of tongues. And what does he say there? He understands this, that tongues is a gift from God. And he says there also in that verse, what does the text say? More than you all. So Paul, he exercised this gift of tongues often. Now, we are not given any examples in the book of Acts uh, of Paul speaking in tongues because of the different interpretations. But this leads us to believe that this was a prayer language that the Apostle Paul used quite often. In other words, when you see him going to Iconium and Lystra and Derby and Corinth, you don't, we're not given no examples of him uh, speaking in another language as some interpret tongues. But he says, I do it often. So when it, when it, by him saying, I do it often, it's my conviction that he's talking about his prayer language. He's talking about his, his communion with God. Now, my understanding of Scripture, there are two types of tongues in the New Testament. Public tongues and private tongues. I want to talk about both and separate them. Because that's what I see in the Scriptures. The first one is... The public gift, the public gift um, of tongues is a sign to unbelievers. The word of the text says, 1 Corinthians 14, 22, I get, I get it from there, it says, so then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Likely, I'm not going to drive my stake in the ground, but likely this is what is happening on the day of Pentecost as the disciples are being surrounded by the people from the 16 nations. And as the text is going to tell us, the text is going to define this tongues here when we get to it in a little bit. This tongue here 
in Acts chapter 2 is representing the gospel is for all people. We're going to see it a little bit. As these people gather around the disciples, they hear them speaking in tongues. They are actually going to say, we hear them speaking in our own dialect, our own native tongue. So that is a gift of public tongues. But I also believe, based on the word of God, that there is a private tongue. There is a private tongue. And I want to give you scripture for that. This private gift is what I call a prayer language. A prayer language. And it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 through 4. And I believe I underlined the key phrases. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 2 through 4 says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. What, what was the other tongue speaking to? He was speaking to men. But this tongue here in verse 2 says he does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. And then it says, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So there's three things there in that passage. First, it says, he does not speak to man, but he speaks to God. Acts chapter 2, we see them speaking to the people. The people are hearing it in another language. But here, he's talking about he speaks to God. That's the key phrase in 1 Corinthians 14. And then he says, no one understands. That leads me to believe it's a prayer language. And it says, in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. And he says in verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Look at it. It says it, he, he edifies himself. So this private gift, this prayer language, Pastor David calls it, is for personal edification according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 2 through 4. This, my friend, is deep intercessory prayer. Sometimes you don't know what you're praying but the Spirit does. The Spirit does. And listen to this, just to, to, to drive home that point. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 14, which is 10 verses after that passage. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, what does it say? My spirit prays. But my mind is unfruitful. So there's evidence there that this is a prayer language. This is a deep intercessory prayer language given to believers okay now at Calvary Chapel we encourage if you have this gift exercise it exercise it in your prayer time storm the gates of heaven pray fervently have sweet fellowship with God but we do not exercise it during corporate worship we do not exercise the gift of tongues in corporate worship. You say, Pastor David, why don't you exercise it during corporate worship? Let's go to the word. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, four verses after verse 14, verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But here it is, guys. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct other than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, so speaking in tongues, this prayer language 
in corporate worship does not build up the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, it makes some people uncomfortable. It makes some people uncomfortable, and some people will think that you're crazy. And that was the exact same thought process in the first century. When Paul wrote this letter to Corinth, there were people that were praying in tongues. People were coming into the church, and they were like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? What is happening here? It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23, when Paul makes reference to this. 1 Corinthians 14.23 says, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together, like we're doing now, and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers, in other words, people that don't have the gift, or people that don't understand it or are not familiar with it, they will not say you are mad. They, they will say you are mad. Tongues, speaking in tongues in corporate worship can be a distraction. It takes people's attention off of Jesus and puts the attention on the person speaking in tongues. And the Holy Spirit, my friend, the Holy Spirit in corporate worship, he wants our focus to be on Jesus. As we are singing songs and we are praising God, we want, and even during teaching time, right now in this very moment, we want our hearts and minds focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. We want him to be lifted up. One of the key signs that the Holy Spirit is at work in the church is that they are exalting Jesus Christ. They are lifting him up. They are magnifying him. So we don't want anything during corporate worship to interfere with that worship. You know, we want everyone to get everything they can out of the word of God and to worship God with all their heart. Now, uh, if a tongue, if there is a meeting if there, if there is a Bible study taking place and the gift of tongues is spoken, there must be an interpretation. There must be an interpretation of the tongue or the tongue is, is useless. So we, we believe in the gifts, but they have to be exercised biblically. Biblically within the context of Scripture. Now, anytime you bring up tongues... The first question that people like to ask me is this, is the gift of tongues for all believers? I've heard pastors, I've heard teachers say, the gift of tongues is for all believers. Everybody's supposed to. Is that biblical? No. First Corinthians, I want to take you to the word. We got, we got to get our theology and our understanding from the scriptures, okay? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29. Paul answers this exact question. Is the gift of tongues, or any gift for that matter, for every single believer? He answers it, 1 Corinthians 12, 29. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracle, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with, there it is. All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no. Not everyone has the same gift. Not everyone speaks in, in, not everyone has a prayer language. Not everyone has the gift of tongues. Not everyone has the gift of interpretation. Just like not everyone has the gift of prophecy or encouragement or all the other 30 different gifts that the Holy Spirit. You know, God wants you to exercise your gift. Okay? He wants you to exercise your gift. And the greatest gift, now, 
This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. If you open up your Bibles and you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, you'll find that the very next verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. And what is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about? Love. And look at how he ends verse 31 up on the screen. The last verse of chapter 12. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. So in this verse, context, family, the verse that's connecting 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is saying, I show you a still more excellent way. And that excellent way is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is love. God's love. So here's the summation. The greatest gift of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, evangelism, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then you go to the passages on gifts and each and every one of us has a different gift to build up the body of Christ. Some of you may have a prayer language, okay? Some of you may have the gift of prophecy, encouragement, helps, administrations. There's a whole bunch of gifts out there. But all those gifts are the, are the, are the exercising, are, are the manifestation of the Spirit. Chuck Smith, uh, I love his illustration on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He uses three Greek prepositions to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's called para, P-A-R-A, N-E-N, epi, E-P-I, para, N, epi. Those are the Greek prepositions that, that the scriptures use in the New Testament to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. He's para. In other words, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's telling you, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to repent. You need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then the second Greek word is in, E-N. Then the Holy Spirit is in you, okay? He comes in and he takes up permanent residence in your life. And then the third Greek word, um, I can show these to you after service if you like. I'll point them out to you. The third Greek preposition is epi, E-P-I. It means he is flowing out of you. It's like taking a bottle, of, a glass of water, and you're pouring water, and you keep pouring, you keep pouring. And what happens is the water begins to flow out of you. That is the baptism of the Spirit, where the gifts are being manifested in your life for the building up of the body. That is the mighty outflowing and the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that each and every believer here walks in his gift, that experiences his gift, and knows his gift. You know, you need to pray. You need to search the scriptures. Say, Lord, what gift do you have for me? What gift do you have for me to minister to the body of Christ? You know, uh, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to show you, ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to, uh, sometimes our, our closest godly friends can see the gift before we do. But ask your godly friends, hey, what gift do you see me exercising in? That's how we discover our gift. And it is a baptism. It is an outflowing of the work of the Spirit 
Now, we've talked about tongues. I hope you, under, have, you, hope you have a biblical understanding. Uh, we did a Wednesday, I did a three-week Wednesday night study on this subject. What I, what I just talked about over the past 20 minutes, we spent three nights on. And you're welcome to go back and, and research that. But that's a basic overview of, of the gift of tongues. But again, the gifts are meant to unite the body of Christ, not divide the body of Christ. Amen? All right, let's continue. Verse 5, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, verse 6 makes it abundantly clear that this is not a prayer language. This is a public tongue meant to be a sign. It says here, as we're going to see in the next verses after, the people heard it in their own native language. These, these nations were like, whoa, how did, where did they get that? I hear them speaking in my language, my native tongue from the country I came from. Look at verse 7. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? That was a, that was a slant. Like, the, these knuckleheads, these people don't know anything. But yet these uneducated men w- were given this gift to speak in their language. Verse 8, how is it that we each hear them? Here it is, verse 8, in our own language to which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pyra, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue, Speaking, and here's the most important part of this encounter, the very end of verse 11. What do they hear them speaking? All the mighty deeds of God. Now, if you zoom up to 100,000 feet and you look at all of Scripture, you look at the Old Testament and New Testament, I find something very fascinating about the day of Pentecost. The gift of tongues here unified these pilgrims from the 16 nations at the feast of Pentecost. They all heard the mighty deeds of God. Back in Genesis chapter 11, man in his pride wanted to make a name for himself at the Tower of, at the Tower of Babel. So what does God do? God confuses their language and scatters them abroad. Now, here at Pentecost, the opposite is happening. The opposite is happening. God is unifying their understanding through the gift of tongues as they all hear and understand the mighty deeds of God. God's amazing. God is sovereign. He will get his gospel out. He will break down every barrier in this world. There's nothing our government can do. There's nothing the culture can do. There's nothing that man can do to stop the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will get his message out to all the nations, okay? And people will respond and put their trust in Christ. He will get it out because he is behind the gospel. Verse 12, verse 12 talks about their response, the people's response. They hear this great outpouring in the upper room or in this court, Some people believe they were in an upper room. Some people believe they were in a court there in Jerusalem because there was 120 people. So they they imagine it was a very large place. Verse 12 says, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity. 
saying to one another, what does this mean? In other words, they didn't understand in their natural mind what is taking place here. Like, what is this going on? What is this happening? We're not used to this happening. We've never seen this before. What is taking place here in Jerusalem? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. The people are thinking, man, these guys must be drunk. These guys must be drunk. What in the world is happening? So in verse 14, uh, we see the, at the end of verse 13, we see the greatest outpouring of the Spirit is now going to be followed by the greatest sermon ever preached. And I'm not sure how many weeks it's going to take us to get through this. We may be able to get through it next Sunday. It may be over the next two Sundays. But Peter, a man who was once a, a chicken, he was scared. He denied Jesus is going to stand up and he is going to explain what has happened at Pentecost. He's going to explain this outpouring. Look at verse 14. We're going to look at the first one-third of it this morning, which what he's going to do now is he's going to explain Pentecost by pointing back to the prophecy of Joel and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. You know, as we study this amazing sermon here in Acts chapter 2, this Sunday and over the next couple weeks, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit gives you and I the same power, the same unction to proclaim the gospel to this world. Again, who are we talking about? Peter. Peter, you know, Peter had, Peter had what they call the foot in the mouth syndrome. He constantly made mistakes with his speech. He constantly was a coward. But now he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He has this deep conviction. He's no longer scared of man, but he's ready to take the gospel. And in verse 14, three, fra three key phrases stick out to me about Peter that I want to draw to your attention. First, he took his stand. It says, Peter taking his stand. Friends and family, you and I have to do the same. We have to take a stand for the gospel of Christ Jesus. We have to stand firm in our faith and proclaim it unapologetically. And then he says, he raised his voice. It wasn't, hey, Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. Hey, just come, come give your life to Jesus. It wasn't like that. It was like, come to Christ. He offers you eternal life. There was this enthusiasm, there was this zeal, there was this passion in Peter's language and his, in his voice and his body language. It says he raised his voice and it says, Luke describes it, and declared to them. In other words, he made it crystal clear. Friends, if you repent and trust in Christ, you will be forgiven. You will have new life. A declaration is a bold statement that says you can build your life on these things. God, give us the same power and the same witness for, towards the loss. You know, the first thing Peter does here is he corrects their error-filled thinking. I mean, it's only 9 a.m. People don't start drinking that early. Well, at least most people don't. <laughs> but here, most, they, they're not drinking People aren't drinking at this time of the morning. So now what Peter is going to do is 
do the same thing that you and I should do. The foundation of our sermon, the foundation of our witness should always be in the word of God. Okay? Now when Paul spoke, excuse me, when Peter spoke this, the New Testament scriptures hadn't been written yet. So what scriptures did he have? He had the Old Testament. So he starts by explaining Pentecost by going to the word of God. And again, our witness is founded on the word of God. He's going to explain the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verses 16 through 21. 16 through 21 says, But this was what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days. God says, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. If you go back up to verse 12, there's a question asked. Look at it in your Bibles. Verse 12 says, what does this mean? In verse 12, now Peter is answering it. In verse 17, the outpour, this is, this is what you're seeing, nations, people. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not limited to tongues. It says in there, I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. People will prophesy. People will see visions. People will have dreams. He said that this shall be in the last days, biblically speaking, the last days began with the ascension of Christ and the last days will end with the rapture, the church age, this last time. But then we go into what we call the, the great tribulation. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But throughout this whole epoch of time, the New Testament period, some people call it the, the dispensation of grace, the age of grace. He says in verse 17, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. God is still pouring out his Holy Spirit on the church today for those who are hungry and those who thirst for the living God and for those who want to be used. He says it there. This is a, I will pour forth my spirit on all, all mankind. And notice it says, on your sons and your daughters. Sometimes you see churches where it's just dominated by men, by men serving in the church. That's not biblical. Our men and our ladies are both used by the Holy Spirit, okay? It says it there, and he's going to say it again in, in verse 18. He says, and on your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Men and women of God will proclaim the word of truth. They will prophesy to this generation and be a witness for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, and your young men shall see visions in your old men shall dream dreams. When I saw that phrase, it kind of made me laugh for a second because I was like, your young men will have visions. You know, when you're young, you have vision. You know, there's things you want to do. You have big plans. And then it says, old men shall dream dreams. Like, old men will be like, well, that was my dream. That was then. But no, that's not what it's saying, though. But, but, but the old men will dream dreams. Uh, young men will see visions. God wants to use uh, 20-year-old believers, just like he wants to use 70-year-old believers. If you're a believer in Christ and you're still breathing oxygen on this earth, God wants to use you in the kingdom of God. If you were throwing age out, if you're 16 years old and God wants to use you in his kingdom in the same manner that he uses the older generation, 
God wants to use us all. It's not just pastors and leaders and those who may seem spiritually mature. It's for all believers to be used for God. This mighty outpouring is for all. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Man, I'm just praying now that the Holy Spirit is just showing you guys what your gift is and what your, what your part is in the kingdom of God and how you can be used mightily by him. Now, in this portion of referring to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's important to note he's explaining what has started at Pentecost. And, and, and if, if you go into the chapters, there's many, many, many different gifts that, that, that God uses for his kingdom. Let's look at verse 18. Even on my bondservants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. Uh, bond slaves, uh, servants, slaves of Christ, indentured servants, people that are deeply committed to Christ, people that have given their life over to the Lord. And again in verse 18, what does it say? Both what? Men and women. Men and women, God uses our servant ladies to witness and serve the body of Christ and be a witness to this generation. And he uses our men in the same manner. I will pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. In other words, they shall speak forth the truth of scripture, the truth of God. They will speak to this generation. And notice the outpouring will continue. Now, Joel's prophecy is actually verses 17 through 21. Now, verse 17 He's explaining Pentecost, but, but if, you, if you study this verse by verse, when you get to verses 19 through 20, you're like, what in the world is going on here? And I believe what he's talking about here is this outpouring of the Spirit where the gifts are manifested and people are used mightily in their love, evangelism, and their gifts will continue throughout the church age. Verses 19 through 20 is talking about the great tribulation. It's talking about the last days. Look at verse 19. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Whoa, what is he talking about here? You go to Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 19. Study the great tribulation. Study all that crazy that's taking place in Revelation. That's what he's talking about here. That the signs and wonders and gifts and evangelism and love and encouragement and building up the body and walking in our gifts, it will continue throughout the church age, even in to the great tribulation. Because that's what he's talking about. Joel verses 17 through 20 to me is an Old Testament snapshot of the era of the epoch we're living in now, the, 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 the era we're living in now, the time frame of God working mightily. And look at verse 20. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Now that phrase, day of the Lord, if you go study it in the Old Testament, is talking about the day of God's judgment. It's talking about when he, he, he returns and, and destroys evil and establishes righteousness. We understand this to mean the great tribulation period where God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world and God is turning his attention back to the nation of Israel. Some people will teach that the Holy Spirit is not at work during the Great Tribulation. And I'm not sure about that. Because 
in the book of Revelation, it says there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists evangelizing the world. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will be working through them to evangelize the world. But the day of the Lord, even during the great tribulation. And then finally, verse 21, our final verse this morning. It says, and it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I I just love that verse. I love that verse. This context, outpouring of the Holy Spirit throughout the church age on my servants, this verse 21 gives us the reason that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the body of Christ is the reason why the Holy Spirit is is poured out is so that people will call upon the name of the Lord. What a precious and magnificent promise, friends. Call upon Jesus and you will be saved. If you have called upon Jesus, friends, you are saved. If you have put your trust in Jesus, if, you're, if, if he's dwelling on his side, you are saved. If not, Pastor David, how, how do I know I'm a Christian? Call upon Jesus. What does it mean to call upon Jesus? It means to say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against your law. I've broken your commandments. I am guilty. God, please forgive me. That's repentance. And you turn away from it. And then you say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. Please come into my life. That is what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will, not maybe, will be saved. This is the promise. This is the promise is salvation. This is, remember what I said, uh, Pentecost, it was God's plan to what? Get the word out. It was God's plan to, to evangelize the world. Well, verse 21 is the purpose of the great commission of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of the church coming into existence is so that we could share with our loved ones, our friends, our family, and the world, the entire world, from Africa to Europe to America to to everywhere on the world, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Humble yourself, and he will save you. That is the ultimate purpose and plan of the Great Commission and of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the past, Old Testament, The spirit was coming and going and the kings, the prophets and the priests. God says, okay, we're setting that aside. Pentecost is coming. I'm gonna build my church. The gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it. I'm gonna fill them with the Holy Spirit and we are gonna get the word out. So are you getting the word out? Are you being a witness? That's how you fulfill the, the great plan. That is the the, the filling, the baptism, the evidence is, is, you can't see it by just looking at each other, but you look inside of each other and there's this passion. There's this flame. You know, the t- 
talks about tongues of fire, and I believe the scripture. The scripture says there was tongues of fire on their mouth. There were tongues of fire on them, okay? But today, the Holy Spirit is a flame inside of our souls. Now let's take his message, let's take his love, let's take his truth to those who need it most, to those around us who don't know Christ. And let's take our gifts that God gives us, whatever gift God has given you in the spirit, and use it to glorify him and to build up his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, Father, for this study of Acts chapter 1, verse 21. Father, grip our hearts. Call us, Lord, to uh, the ministry that you have for each of us, Lord. Gifts are not just for the leaders of the church. Gifts are for the body of Christ to be magnified, to, to magnify your name and to get the word out. Help us to walk in our gift. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And with all the heads bowed and eyes closed as we're, we're praying, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an invitation. You say, Pastor David, what do I do? What do I need to do to get on this, get on this master plan? What do I need to do to get the word out? Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and ask him to come into your life by his Holy Spirit. Do that now. Don't wait another day. Put your trust in him. And if you're here this morning and you've not prayed to receive Christ, you've not put your trust in the Lord, I wanna ask that during this final worship song, if you'll come up and uh, meet me at the altar, I'll pray with you. I wanna embarrass you, I'll just pray with you and encourage you. Or our prayer counselors on both sides. Um, Get things right with God. While you have breath today, get things right with the Lord. And for the rest of the body this here, if you're here and you need special prayer, something's going on in your life and you want us to pray for you, job-related, family-related, whatever, whatever it may be, we would love to pray for you. So during the final worship song, there'll be prayer counselors up front. Uh, be courageous. And if you would like, come up and we'll pray for you.